0: The text for the sermon this afternoon is the Word of God as we have it summarized in the Hyde Catechism, Lord's Day 22, question and answer 57 and 58. There we confess as Church of Jesus Christ. What comfort does the resurrection of the body offer you? Not only shall my soul after this life immediately be taken up to Christ my head, But also this my flesh, raised by the power of Christ, shall be reunited with my soul and made like Christ's glorious body. What comfort do you receive from the article about the life everlasting? Since I now already feel in my heart the beginning of eternal joy, I shall after this life possess perfect blessedness, such as no eye has seen nor ear heard, nor the heart of man conceived a blessedness in which to praise God forever. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, all around us we see the brokenness of life. Many are afflicted with sickness. Others suffer from anxiety and depression. Still others struggle with difficulties at work. Yet others may be more elderly and dread to meet the last enemy, death, face to face. By God's grace, we are all burdened by our sin and feel its strong grip in our lives. We desire to serve God, but we constantly fall short and do not serve him in the way that he requires from us. Instead, we grieve God through our sins, and through our sins we earn for ourselves eternal death. Every day and everywhere we perceive the brokenness of life. The more that we are in tune with God's word, the more that we desire to serve him, the more aware we become of just how serious our condition is in God's sight. There is still a deep chasm between God and man, a chasm that is felt each and every day. Death is the end of our life here on earth. No one is excluded. All have fallen short of the demands of the Lord, and therefore all die. Death is the wages of our sin. But thanks be to God, that he has provided a way of escape from his judgments. He has had mercy on his children, and has given to them the sacrifice of his only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. He has come to this earth and become a man, so that he could suffer in our place, and obtain for us the forgiveness of sins. Because of this great gift, we may share in the righteousness of Christ and so never come into condemnation. The gift of the forgiveness of sins changes everything and promises reconciliation with God. Suddenly the future looks very bright. Even death itself has been conquered. And the life with God means everlasting life. Therefore, in our life here and now, wherein there is so much brokenness, we may nevertheless also know of the only comfort, the only true comfort there is. We may confess with the church of all times and places, I believe the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Things which seem impossible to us as sinful human beings we may believe with confidence because of what the lord has told us in his word i proclaim to you god's word under the following theme our faithful god gives us the comfort of the complete renewal of all things first he will resurrect our bodies second he will give us life everlasting as we see so often in the Heidelberg Catechism the Catechism shows its practical value and concern for everyday life in Lord's Day 22 the Catechism does not ask what the resurrection of the body exactly means or how it works but rather focuses on the comfort which this brings to God's people. In Adam, we rebelled against our Creator, and therefore earned for ourselves death. And unless the Lord returns first, each one of us sitting here today will experience death firsthand. For those who are without Christ, death is the beginning of hell, eternal separation from God. For them, death is an entrance into the eternal consequences of their rejection of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Rejection of Christ means rejection by God forever. But for those who are in Christ, death is not something we need to fear. But rather, as we confessed in Lord's Day 16, it is an entrance into eternal life. For the moment we pass away, our soul is immediately taken up to Christ, our head in heaven. The soul does not first go into some intermediate state such as purgatory, as the Roman Catholic Church believes. It does not spend some time in purgatory first to see whether or not it is worthy of going into heaven. Our soul also does not enter into some kind of soul sleep so that we are completely unaware of anything until the day Christ returns to judge the living and the dead. No, our soul is immediately taken up into heaven where Christ is. The fact that the soul is immediately taken up into heaven is clear from various scripture passages. Think for example of the parable of the rich man and Lazarus which the Lord Jesus told the Pharisees in Luke 16. There we read, the time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. There is no interval of time when the beggar Lazarus is left alone. Even his burial is not mentioned. No, he is immediately taken up to heaven by the angels. Lazarus experiences the blessings of the Lord, and he is comforted after enduring so many troubles on earth. But the rich man who neglected the service of God is immediately also tormented and made to endure hellish agony after his death. When the Lord Jesus was on the cross with the two criminals beside him, Then one of them mocked Jesus and challenged him to save himself and them. But the other criminal rebuked him and said, Don't you fear God, since you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said to Jesus, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. To which Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Today you will be with me in paradise. Again, the immediacy is emphasized. Jesus and the criminal were about to die. They were to die today. But that is also when they will be in heaven. There is no delay, no intermediate period when they'll be in limbo no there is no limbo from life on earth to life in heaven for those who believe in christ life only as a soul to be sure but nevertheless life with christ our head it is only as a soul until the final day when we will be reunited with our bodies the great resurrection of the dead in paul's letter to the philippians we see further confirmation of the immediacy of our being with christ after we die for paul there expresses his desire to depart that is to die so that he might be with christ this being with christ is something which would then happen right away one does not have to wait until christ returns for this to take place as we read also in revelation 14 blessed are the dead who die in the lord from now on those who have trusted in the lord and bound their lives to him may live forever in happiness with their lord There is nothing which can separate them from Christ, also not death. On the contrary, through death they reach the heavenly home and are with Christ their head. At the Catechism asks, what comfort does the resurrection of the body offer you? Throughout church history, there has been a tendency among many Christians to emphasize the spiritual side at the expense of the physical. They said that Jesus Christ came to save souls. You only need to worry about your soul. The body is completely unimportant. It can be neglected. Sins against your body are irrelevant, they said. And some of these false teachers even ended up tolerating a licentious lifestyle because of these beliefs. But this view is entirely contrary to scripture. And therefore the Christian church confesses the resurrection of the body in the Apostles' Creed. It does not make a special point of confessing the salvation of our souls But it does confess the resurrection of the body at a time when many religions disparage the body. But the Lord our God has made us body and soul. And he saves both in his great plan of renewal and recreation. He will renew everything that we corrupted. And so as wonderful as it is that Believers may be received into heaven immediately upon their death. That does not complete their redemption. For man was created body and soul, and these two parts of man are essential for man to be complete and whole, as he was intended to be by God. The soul is incomplete without the body, the body is incomplete without the soul. And therefore the two must be reunited, for God's plan of renewal to be completed. The soul is in heaven with Christ immediately after death, but the body is buried in the grave. Embalmers do their work. The body is put in a casket and enclosed in a tomb. Over time, man returns to the dust from which he was taken. Man is but a breath. One day he is there, fresh and energetic, and the next day he is gone, dry, withered like the grass of the field. The body decomposes and is no more. But brothers and sisters, that is not the end of the story. For although the natural body has disappeared over the years, Yet on the last day when Christ returns, then the bodies of all mankind are resurrected again, and their souls enter their bodies. I believe the resurrection of the body. As we confess this in, Lord, in this Lord's Day, answer 57. But also this my flesh, raised by the power of Christ, shall be reunited with my soul and made like Christ's glorious body. The catechism stresses the fact that it is our own bodies which will rise on the last day. It is not that our soul will enter some sort of cloned body that we will all share in heaven. No, also in heaven, in our resurrected body, we will retain the same characteristics we have on this earth. We will be able to recognize one another. We confess that it is this my flesh which will be raised by Christ's power on that great and final day. The Lord God's plan of renewal and recreation will be executed perfectly. He will leave no detail undone. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul stresses the importance of believing the physical, bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. He bears witness to the fact that there were many witnesses who saw the risen Jesus Christ. And Christ's resurrection is vital for our own resurrection and for our very salvation itself. For if Christ has not been raised, then we are still in our sins. And Christ has not defeated Satan and death. There is no hope for us. But as Paul jubilantly proclaims in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. He has laid down his life and has taken it up again. The power of Christ, our head, was more than sufficient to completely defeat even death itself. While in Adam we all died, in christ we will all be made alive christ put all his enemies under his feet therefore we may have life and i may have it abundantly life in a renewed resurrected body what exactly is the nature of the resurrected body the corinthians asked the same question we read that in verse 35 how are the dead raised with what kind of body do they come then paul rebukes the corinthians and berates them for their foolishness for when the body is sown at burial it is just a seed and not the body exactly as it will be in the new world paul writes in the verses 42 and following So is it with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also A spiritual body our new resurrected body will be like Christ's glorified body it will be the same body as the one which we have now the same recognizable features but it will be completely renewed and made imperishable whereas our body now will return to the dust our resurrected body will never disintegrate into dust, but it will endure forever. Our present body is sown in dishonor. It is true that the embalmers try to honor it as much as they can. They try to remove the starkness of death, cover up the wounds, adorn it with fine clothes and beautiful flowers. But the reality is that the body has started to decompose. Our body here has been dishonored by sickness and death. And the damage cannot be repaired until the resurrection of the body, when it will be raised up to newness of life. It will be raised in glory and made like Christ's glorious body. Then it will never again be dishonored, but will always be perfect Complete, without defect. It will be radiant, shining, in true heavenly condition. Our present body is sown in weakness. All the strength has gone out of it when it is buried. It can't do anything anymore. It cannot even hold itself up or breathe at all. The body is completely subject to the degenerative forces set in creation. It cannot prevent them from taking over the body. But this same body will be raised in power on the last day. It will be able to do so many more things than our present body can. We can catch a glimpse of this power in the fact that our risen Lord could walk right through closed doors, enter locked rooms. But there is so much more that we don't know about the resurrected body. Yet we know the most important thing. And that is that the resurrected body will be so much better than the present one. It will be incorruptible, imperishable, raised in the power of Christ. Our present body is sown a natural body which is subject to all the natural laws of this created world. The natural body focuses its energies on the physical, natural aspects of life. The Spirit of God does work renewal in the natural body of those who belong to Christ. But the change after the resurrection will be total and complete. For then the body will be raised a spiritual body, This does not mean that the body will no longer be physical, but rather that the glorified body will will be dominated by the holy, renewed, perfect spiritual life. Every sinew in the resurrected body will be dedicated wholeheartedly to the service and glory of God. Sown a natural body, but raised a spiritual body. In all these characterizations of the resurrected body, we can see the rich comfort of what God will do for us on the last day. Here we struggle continually each and every day against our sin and are so often unable to serve God in the way that he requires from us. But then we will receive a glorified body which will be dedicated to God's service completely. And we will no longer need to worry about cancer or heart disease or any other kind of illness. For while our body here in this life is prone to weakness and sickness, the resurrected body will be raised in power. It will be a glorified body that will never be dishonored. But will always be fit for service to God and truly renewed in a perfect way. Renewed in a way to partake of life eternal with God. So we come to our second point, that God will give us life everlasting. In the last article of the Apostles' Creed, we come to the climax of the Gospel. I believe the life everlasting. As sinners in Adam, we had earned for ourselves death, even eternal death, but because of the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf, we may be reconciled to God once again, and therefore we may look forward to life everlasting with God our Maker. The catechism asks about this article of the creed. What comfort do you receive from the article about the life everlasting? Once again, the catechism focuses on the element of comfort and does not try to solve any of the mysteries surrounding the life everlasting. The answer which the catechism gives is... Since I now already feel in my heart the beginning of eternal joy, I shall after this life possess perfect blessedness, such as no eye has seen nor ear heard, nor the heart of man conceived a blessedness in which to praise God forever." The Catechism does not give an extensive description of what the future life with God might be like, full of speculations and conjectures. No, instead, the Catechism zeroes in on the essence of life everlasting and also links it very closely to our present life here in this world. The life everlasting is not regarded as a pie-in-the-sky, airy-fairy existence, but it is presented as something which begins now already in this life. For the essence of life everlasting is joy in the Lord and in his salvation that he has brought about for us. True life finds its origin in complete reconciliation with God. Those who are filled with the Spirit of God long to be with God and long to reach the heavenly dwelling where we may praise God perfectly forever. In this life already, we may feel the beginning of this eternal joy and this already comforts us in our present life, in the midst of all of our difficulties we may look forward with great anticipation to life with God unending perfect peace and the complete renewal of all things. We read from Revelation 21 which speaks of the new heaven and the new earth in which we will live out life everlasting. Babylon has fallen, and the devil and his cohorts have been thrown into the lake of fire. Sin and death have been defeated by Christ. It is time for a new beginning, for the renewal of everything. And this is what has been happening in heaven. And now the Apostle John can see a glimpse of this when the new heaven and the new earth are revealed to him he sees the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. The first heaven and the first earth had passed away and were no more. But now there is a new heaven and a new earth. For God's work of renewal includes more than simply a new mankind, but also a new world in every way. God is working to renew all of creation. And yet the focus in this vision is on the new mankind, represented here by the new Jerusalem coming out of heaven. Jerusalem was the place where God had chosen to dwell in the old world. That was the place where the sacrifices were offered where the Ministry of Reconciliation occurred during the Old Dispensation. And now God's plans have been completely realized. Reconciliation has been achieved. And God can now live with man. Because man has been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. This new Jerusalem is all the work of the Lord alone. It comes down out of heaven from God himself. He is the one who takes the initiative to restore a new mankind for himself. As John is looking up and seeing the new Jerusalem come down, a voice cries from heaven, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. This is the essence of the life everlasting, God dwelling with mankind. That is how it started in paradise. Adam and Eve walked with God in the cool of the evening in the garden. But then, after the fall into sin, it was impossible for this to happen. Man could not even see God and live. The chasm between God and man was very deep. But now we have the sure promise that on that last day the chasm will be completely removed and God will come again and dwell with his people in perfect harmony. The covenant promises of God to his people will come to full blossom. Then we will be his people and God will be our God. Instead of sin which stains us and our relationship to God, we will be spotless and clean, cleansed by Christ's blood, arrayed as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And there can be nothing better than that, for this image of the bride portrays the closest communion that there can be between humans. That is the communion which will now exist between God and us. This communion will be even better than any husband and wife relationship on this earth. For our relationship with God will be completely perfect and free from all sin. Nothing at all will be able to disturb this harmony. For God's work is perfect. And we will all have a spiritual body Our soul and our body will be completely renewed and we will all receive joy and satisfaction from praising God and living in harmony with his will. At that time, God will lavish upon us his tender loving care and wipe away every tear from our eyes. Then there will be no more death Or mourning or crying or pain anymore for all these things will have passed away since they are part of the old order now we often have to endure much pain and suffering of all kinds but the rich comfort of the gospel is that there will come a time when this will be all over because of what Christ has accomplished for us on the cross For when we have God on our side, and when we are reconciled to him, then there is no more reason for any kind of pain at all. He is busy making everything new. As it says in verse 5, these words are trustworthy and true. They can be relied upon, and therefore can give true and lasting comfort. The water of life which God will provide will give nourishment to our body and soul forever and ever. As the Catechism so appropriately puts it, we cannot even begin to imagine the blessedness God has prepared for us. Of ourselves, we can so easily be very curious what the new heaven and the new earth will be like. We will just have to wait and see. And we know for sure that what God has prepared for us will be better by far than our wildest dreams. Life everlasting with God. When we will have been there for 10,000 years, we will have barely begun. We cannot comprehend such an amazing blessing. We can only fall down and worship our God and Father, and praise him with all of our might. Oh, the riches of his grace, that he should have mercy upon us, and grant us such an amazing comfort, and such a rich perspective to look forward to. May this outlook characterize our lives now already. May our lives now already be full of praise and adoration for our great and awesome God, the God who gives eternal life. Amen.